Hello everyone. It's good to have you here. Are you happy to be in church this morning? Yes. Awesome. I'm just going to assume that the people watching online and at City Camps are also happy as well. Um, it's great to have you here and it's good to be here with you to go through this series with you over um, these three weeks because I get this time to really unpack um, this amazing passage um, where Jesus tells us the greatest commandment with you, and I get to follow it through with you. Um, the last week, we looked at Mark chapter 12, where Jesus was asked the question, what is the most important commandment? Out of the 613 commands, plus all the other commands that the teachers of the law of the day have added onto it to help us keep it, what is the most important one that we need to pay attention to? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is this, love your Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And as I mentioned last week, he was quoting from two Old Testament passages. The first is Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four to five, and the second is Leviticus 19, verse 18. And everyone in his audience who was Jewish probably was very familiar with these passages. They were probably very familiar with these two books and all the verses in these books. And so when Jesus quoted this passage, they knew exactly what he was saying. And this, and so what we're going to do today is we're going to zoom in onto Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 5. We're going to go to the source material and look at what it actually says here. What was Jesus quoting? Because when we go there, we can find a lot of clues to how God intended for us to keep this commandment. And so, join me in praying as we begin. Oh Lord, we look to you as our teacher, as the reveal of truth, Holy Spirit. We ask that you pour out yourself over us and over this place, oh God, and that you would um, reveal Jesus to us and that you convict our hearts of Him and of the truth of how you called us to live. So Lord, as much as I can speak, I do not have your power. I do not have the transformative power to convict hearts. But Lord, you do. And you love them more than I love them. You love your church more than I could possibly ever love your church. So Lord, build them. Build your people up and draw them to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 5. This is such a famous, well-known passage. It's so um, integral to, the Jewish, to, to, the, to Israel's way of life that they would quote this passage um, regularly or at key moments and key festivals in their national um, calendar. And it goes like this. Hear, O Israel. In Hebrew, it's Shema Israel, the Lord our God, Yahweh Eheloheinu, the Lord is one, Yahweh Echad. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The passage is that we're looking at today can be divided into two parts. Let's focus on verses four to five, where we see that essentially loving God takes everything we are. Loving God takes everything we are. There's three parts of our lives that is mentioned here. The first is the heart. In Hebrew, it is lavav. 
Lavav. Now, when we think of heart, we usually think of our emotions, our feelings, right? But it means more than that in the Hebrew. The Hebrew word lavav means emotions, means how you feel, but it also means your inner being, just in general. It means how you think. It means even your conscience. It refers to your conscience, your morality, what you think is right and wrong. So what it's saying here is, love the Lord your God with all that you think about, with all that you feel, and even with how you live your life, what orientates you, what you consider right and wrong. Let that be guided and inclined towards the Lord. All your inner being. Last week, I mentioned, and I stated very simply, that you know you love something when it takes your attention, when you think about it, or when you, um, when you get really excited about something. There's emotion into it. And so what, if we apply this now here, what it's saying is, we have to love the Lord our God with all our attention, with our thoughts, with what we think about during the day. Let that be about the Lord. We need to love the Lord with all our affections, all our emotions. Do we get excited about the Lord? Do we yearn for Him? Do we long for Him? Is there emotion involved here? Then we can, what is pushing us towards, and this is why I think the psalmist caught here in Psalms 27 verse 4, one thing I ask from the Lord this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. The command starts with love the Lord your God with all your inner being, everything in you oriented, directed towards Him. Towards Him. Now, if you think you're asking me to think about the Lord all the time, like all the time, for, to get excited about the Lord, even on cold winter mornings, really, on Sunday mornings, really? Let's keep the standard there. Because this, that when, we, when we hear stuff like this, our temptation is to go, surely not. Surely the application is a bit too direct. It's too, too, too hard. Let's just keep it there for the moment. Okay, let's not dilute what it's saying in the Word of God for now, okay? And let's, and let's, let's just keep it there. That's the standard that we've been called to. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Lavav. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. The Hebrew word for that is nefesh. Nefesh, which is usually translated soul. If you see the word soul in your Bible, in the Old Testament, it is usually the translation of the Hebrew word nefesh. Nefesh, actually, now when we think of soul, we usually think of this metaphysical part of us that makes us us, right? There's this, this soul inside of us, okay? This thing inside of us, a part of us. Now, nefesh does not actually mean that. Nefesh simply refers to um, your being. Uh, it refers to your personality. It, it, it refers to you, you, your being, you. What makes you you? That's nefesh. Nefesh can also be translated as a throat. Essentially, it's who you are. So, what this passage is saying here then is love the Lord with all your heart, love the Lord with all your being, with all your personality, with all of who you are. Love the Lord your God with who you are, who you, how He uniquely created you to be. Because we all have different approaches, natural, 
naturally different approaches to God. Some are very creative in nature. Some are more analytical, logical. Some are very expressive. Some are very contemplative. Some of you love to be in nature. Some of you love to be indoors with a book. We all are different. We approach God differently. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't learn from one another and be encouraged by one another. But what it shouldn't become is that we force everyone to express their worship and love to God in a certain way. For example, some of you love to run, and when you run, you meditate on God and His Word, and you listen to a podcast, and you get a lot out of it. It's your think time. That is incredible. Now, if you forced me to do that, my spiritual life would plummet very quickly. I'll get really fit, but my spiritual life will plummet because when I run, I do not meditate on anything but the pain I'm feeling. We all have different approaches. Some of you love being in nature. I personally do not like being in nature. I get very distracted by all the flies and all the ants and all the insects and all the stuff that's going around me. I get so distracted. But some of you just love it because you see the awesomeness and creativity of God in nature. And that is incredible. But let's not force each other to express and, 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 and approach God in the same way. Because you all have different approaches to God. And that doesn't mean that we can't see the value in an admiring um, the natural order of things. doesn't mean that when we run, we, 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 can, we can get, we can be inspired by one another, we can be encouraged by one another's faith and expression of faith. But I think what we shouldn't be doing is forcing one another and making each other feel guilty that unless you are spending hours on end praying to God in your room, you are not holy enough. What if we all express our worship to God differently? But the standard is the same. The standard is the same. The standard is love the Lord your God with all, all of you. Everything that you are expressed and devoted to Him. That's the standard. Love the Lord your God with all your being. And the last one is love the Lord your God with all your strength. The Hebrew word for strength is ma'od. This is an interesting one because ma'od actually is most commonly used in the Hebrew Bible um, to mean very. I mean, if I say I'm very tired, very is the Hebrew word ma'od. Here, it is used as a noun. I mean, if I was to directly translate it to you, it's saying love the Lord your God with all your very. It doesn't actually make sense. It's a bit weird. But what it means here is, love the Lord your God with all your veriness, with all your excess, with, with all your strength, which is why it's translated as strength here. Strength is a good translation. But what it's saying here is, love the Lord your God with all your veriness. Everything, all your energy, all your strength, all your effort, let it be expended on the Lord. For me, Personally, as I've been wrestling with the passage and has been a wrestle um, over the past few weeks, this has been the one that, has, that God has been highlighting to me the most. Now, all of them apply to me. All of them are relevant. But this particular part has been, has, God has been highlighting to me because what I have noticed, and I don't know if you can relate, but what I have noticed in my own life is that sometimes in my efforts to be anti-legalistic, meaning anti-works-based. I end up being an anti-effort Christian. 
Can you relate? Do you know what I mean by that? You know, we, 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 in our efforts to be gospel-centered, in our efforts to be spirit-led, right, we distaste, have a distaste for anything that reeks of effort or striving. So the moment that something becomes a bit hard or it takes a bit of effort, we go, whoa, hold on a second. Is this gospel-centered? Am I being spirit-led here? Shouldn't this be easy? God, transform my heart. And I'm going to wait for God to transform my heart first and then I'll do something because it really shouldn't take that striving. It shouldn't be so difficult. But what it's saying here, and I love how Pence Pazbeni put it as we were discussing it during the week. He said that God is not opposed to effort. God is opposed to earning. God is not opposed to effort. He is opposed to earning. And so we do not put in our effort. We don't strive and contend for our faith to earn our faith, to earn acceptance from God, to earn the love of God. No, no, we have that already. We have received it from the Lord freely. But our response to Him is that we are to love the Lord our God with all our effort, all our strength. What I have noticed in myself, and this is why it's so relevant to me, is because I've noticed that I give up too easily. I give up too easily. In my struggle against sin and temptation, sometimes I just give up too easily. In some things that God has called me to do, for example, for example, I'll share honestly, okay? Expressing Love and affection to people does not come naturally to me. <laughs> Huge surprise, I know. It doesn't come naturally to me. But you know what? God has called me to love my neighbor as myself. I'm a pastor, for goodness sake. <laughs> Just because it's hard doesn't mean that's an excuse. It doesn't mean I get to go, well, that's not for me. That's just not my nature. No. Love the Lord your God with everything, all your effort, even if it costs you sweat, even if it costs you tears. Love the Lord your God with everything you are because Jesus Christ um, sweated blood drops for us. He's calling us to sweat some drops of sweat for Him. That's what we've been called to do. That is the standard. Sound good? Sound good. <laughs> it's challenging, isn't it? Isn't this challenging? God's asking, calling us. He's calling his people, the people of God, Israel, the church. Love him with everything you are. Everything that makes you you, everything, your heart, will, emotion, strength, energy, everything directed, expended to him. How is this possible? I believe we see the answer in Jesus. Let me explain. Jesus is our pattern. Now, not only is he our model and example that we look to and go, wow, Jesus, you're so cool. You did it, so I can do it too. More than that, more than that. In Jesus, we actually see the secret of how he did it, and it gives us, and in that, uh, the same ability that was given to Jesus has been given to us. Let me show you this. John 5, verse 19 and 20. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can do only what He sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Now pay attention to verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. 
Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. All I want you to see here is the connection between the Son knowing the love of the Father and then knowing the will of the Father. Do you see how they're related? They're connected. Jesus never did anything that he didn't see first the Father doing. And how did he get that? How did he see that? How did he know that? He was so filled with the love of the Father. Just like as we grow in our love for our spouse, our significant other, or our friends, as we grow in our love for them, we get to know them more. We know what makes them tick. We know what pleases them. We kind of know their will and their desires. I wonder if it's similar to our relationship with God. As we grow in our grasp of the love of the Father for us, the Holy Spirit is also revealing more of His will to us and our expression of love in response is to walk in obedience. It's to do the will, that we, will of God that we see the Father revealing to us. Now what was Jesus' secret of receiving this love so fully? Matthew 3, 16 to 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, He went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open and He saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Again, we see here at the baptism of Jesus that kickstarts his ministry, the Holy Spirit comes and the love of God is declared over him. Spirit descends, love of God declared over him. I wonder if there's a connection there. I wonder if there's a connection there because you know what we have received? The Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5 And hope does not just put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit and who has been given to us. So here is the hope. And this is why I say Jesus is the pattern because just as Jesus knew the love of the Father so fully, so completely, and He knew that because of the Holy Spirit pouring itself into His heart, filling His life, and then revealing the will of the Father to Him so fully, so completely, we also have the same ability. The same thing has been given to us, meaning the Holy Spirit has been given to us. We are the Son of God, but the Spirit of the Son has been given to us. And the Spirit pours its love into our hearts. As it does so, I wonder if we pay attention to it, the more we receive the love of God, the more we will know the will of God. And we'll be able to step and live more beamly to Him. You get this? So this is, the, this is the key. This is the secret. This is the secret. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with His love. And then we will know the will of God. And, we are del- and then, this is possible then. To love the Lord your God with everything is possible, but only if we follow the pattern of Jesus. And we make sure that we are filled and guided and empowered by the Spirit of God. So how does that work? How can we cultivate that kind of life? How can we get there? I believe the clues are given in the next few verses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7 to 9. Impress them on your children. 
or, or depending on translation, teach them diligently to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What we see here in this set of verses is that loving God means filling every part of your life with Him. Loving God means filling every part of your life with Him. Now, interestingly, right, when God gives the Israelites this command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, right? What does He tell them to do in response? Does He tell them to, okay, guys, now all of you got to come to the tabernacle every day and make sure you soak in the presence of God? Does He tell them to do that? No. Where does He tell them to go? Home. When you're at home, when you love me with everything, and so when you are at home, this is what I want you to do. He expects them to start with where they are, at home, where they live, your regular lives. Loving the Lord your God is not just a church thing. It's not just, let me just soak in the presence of God as in, you know, like here, let's just have an extended time of worship now. No, that's not what it's saying here. Right, that's one aspect of it. But what it commands here is to now go home. Go home and live this out. Go home and start doing something. Now, what is that something? The first thing that it says here is to pass it on. Impress them on your children. This is relevant whether you're a parent or not. Because, I mean, in the cultural context of Israel, they needed to impress it on their children. I mean, that was the only way to pass it on. <laughs> there was no such thing as evangelism for Israel and proselytization. There's no such thing there. The only, thing, the only way you're going to expand and pass on your faith is through your children, through your families. But for us, we are called to disciple the nations. We are called to share our faith, to be witnesses as we have sung, right? To witness of our faith to those around us. And so I think the same principle applies here, right? We are to pass it on. Now, I think there are a couple of reasons for that. The first is, you know, when we teach, we learn better. You know, whenever we learn something and then we share it with someone else, we teach it to someone else, it sinks in a bit deeper, we understand it a bit more in our own lives. But more than that, I think that this command is actually an expression of love in and of itself. That if you have received something so great, if you have experienced and come to the realization of the most holy God, isn't an act of love, isn't it an act of devotion to share it with others? To see the worship of our Lord extend and expand to others. That other people would also know the Lord and know His love for themselves. Now, this one command was so important for the Israelites if they were to cultivate a nation that would follow God because this was the only way, as I've said, this was the only way for the commands and the, 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 their faith to be passed on and continue throughout the generations. But funnily enough, this was the one thing that they often failed to do. This was the one thing that they often failed to do. For example, in Judges, chapter 2, verse 10 to 11. Now, what I'm going to read here is, um, this is the situation just after Joshua, the military leader of Israel, that leads them into the promised land to conquer and to 
finally take the promised land that had been promised for centuries, right? And Josh, the book of Joshua is amazing because we, we see a high point in, in, the, in Israel's national history. And the book of Judges, which comes immediately after it, is like the other end of the pendulum. Things go south really quickly. And in the span of one generation, the moment Joshua and all his friends die, stuff goes down, right? Stuff goes south. And here is why. Judges 2, verse 10 to 11. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. What happened? Or more to the point, what didn't happen? The law of God was not passed on. They didn't. That generation had received so much, they had seen the faithfulness of their God time and time again throughout the many battles of conquering nations that were far greater than them. There has been so much of the greatness of God, yet they didn't pass it on to the next generation. And so the next generation that came up probably had heard about God, but they didn't know Him personally. And part of our love for God, part of that, a key part of that is to pass it on. Share stories. Talk about Him. Talk about what, how great God has been. Talk about the faithfulness of God to others, to especially the next generation. Now, how do we do this? Um, key clue found in one word. Impress. Impress them on your children. Or in some translations, to teach them diligently. The Hebrew word for that, I'm sorry I'm going to the Hebrew, but I believe it actually reveals so much. When you actually go back to the original language, it reveals so much about the depth of this passage. The Hebrew word for this word is, is shanan. It is translated as repeat, to repeat, or to sharpen, like you sharpen a knife, to sharpen. Now, okay, this is getting a bit technical, but bear with me, okay, because it's relevant. Um, so the way shanan, this word, is written it intensifies the word and it makes it active. Kind of like if I was to say one sentence like, Charlie broke the toy, right? If I was to intensify the sentence, I would say, Charlie smashed the toy. You see the difference, right? One's intensive, one's active, right? That's what it's doing here. This word shenan is written in an intensive, more active way. So what it means here is you need to Repeat this to your children over and over and over and over again. It means that you need to sharpen the next generation like a sword over and over again. You don't just sharpen it once and go, good enough. No, no, no. Repeat it over and over again. Sharpen it, look at it, turn it around, sharpen it again. Look at another side, look at another a different one, a different part of the blade. Sharpen that part. Sharpen over and over again. You can use this image. An analogy, a good analogy is um, imagine an engraver that um, is creating an artwork of stone, right? What do they use to create this artwork? Even if you're not an engraver, which most of you I'm guessing are not, neither am I, but what do they use to engrave a, a work of art in stone? Do they use a sledgehammer? No, right? They use a hammer and chisel, right? Hammer and chisel. Bit by bit, they chip away at 
the stone. And little by little, slowly, gradually, almost imperceptibly, the shape starts to form. You start to see the face. You start to see the image of what they're trying to create. That's the same. That's, that's, that is discipleship. That is a great picture of discipleship. That is a great picture of mentoring. That is a great picture of how we are to train our children and the next generation. It is not sledgehammer work. It is hammer and chisel work. Now, the temptation is to get out a sledgehammer and just start smashing things, right? Because it's far quicker, isn't it? But the, pro- the, the danger we have if we start approaching discipleship as with, uh, with a sledgehammer is that we might break some people. We might smash their faith into pieces. No, discipleship is hammer and chisel work. It's delicate. It's, you need patience for it. And sometimes, a lot of the times, you're not going to see any progress. It's as if you're hammering away and the stone is not even budging. But that's discipleship. That is what the people of Israel were called to do. That's what we are called to do. Hammer and chisel. Now, can I just share personally for a moment that as a parent, I have experienced how challenging practically this is. When I first got my child and held her in my arms, and I knew all of this, of, I need to train her in the way of God, right? and I saw her and I held her in my arms, I thought, what am I going to do with this thing? I mean, it doesn't, it, I love my children, but they don't, when they're newborns, they don't do anything. They just eat, sleep, and poop, and cry. That's it. I can't start going, you know, Jesus loves you, right? Like, you know, like, they don't understand. They have no concepts of that. And so I really, honestly, struggled with this, right? How do I begin to do this? And now my, one of my children is getting to three years old, is three years old now. Now she's starting to understand things. And so now I'm going, okay, so how do I do this now? Now's the time, right? Now's the time. So how do I do this? Do I just sit her down and start beginning out my sermons and going, okay, Adara, this is, this is the love of God, right? You know, uh, what do I do? Well, how do I train her? Do, do, and I know, some of you are thinking, Pastor Amos, like, of all people, you should have no problems, right? You, 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 you are the equipped pastor. Uh, you, you should know all this. You have no problems teaching the Bible. Yes, I, I, I suppose I understand what you're saying here, but, but you've got to understand. Um, I can't say this, what I'm saying to you, to my daughter. She just doesn't understand, right? And so what do I have to do? What do I have to do then? Well, as parents, all parents, or everyone that's been a parent would know this, right? You have to go little by little. Hammer and chisel. Get your hammer and chisel out and start chipping away. Take those opportunities that you have, any opportunity to talk about the Lord. You just start linking their experiences at school, their experiences at daycare, their experiences with friends, their experiences with you, and try to link it to the Lord. You know how mommy and daddy love you, they forgive you, that's what Jesus has done for you. Or something like, you know, just reading the Bible with them, the kids' Bible, not the ESV, right? They don't understand that. But the kids' Bible, reading that to her, and praying with her, you know, stuff like that. Just, just trying to process things little by little. I can't get the sledgehammer out and start smacking away because she won't understand. But I can talk about the Lord all the time. Every moment I get to, to, to draw her and to point her towards who God is. And that is what we've all 
been called to do, whether or not you are a pastor, a leader, a parent. We've been called to pass on our faith by getting our hammer and chisel out and chipping away. The second thing that we see from this passage in loving the Lord and cultivating this love of the Lord is that, and I phrase it as a question to you because I want us to examine ourselves, maybe to think about our own lives, is what are you being filled with? What are you being filled with? Um, in verse seven to nine, it's, it's pretty much says, love the Lord, talk, talk about the Lord all the time. Whether you sit at home, whether you're sitting, standing, in the house, outside the house, you should be talking about the Lord. Um, time of symbols in your hands and bind them in your foreheads. Um, the Israel, traditionally, has always taken this literally. They've tied literal boxes with phylacteries onto their hands, onto their foreheads, um, with key scriptures, key parts of the Torah on them. They've engraved or hung pieces of scripture on the door frames of your houses, on their gates. They've taken this very literally. Now, I do not think that God intended for this to be taken only literally. Now, if you do that, good on you. But that is not actually what the primary intent and primary message and application was for this passage. What it's saying here is metaphorical, that you should be talking about the Lord all the time. And your hands, what you do, what you think, your your household and your covenant communities, meaning for us, our churches, your connect groups, should be marked by God. That when people come into your house, they should go, this house belongs to the Lord. Or this person belongs to God. This church, there's something about it. This is marked by God. I can see it in how the people talk. I can see it in how the people live and how the people think. Everything is marked by our God. Now, how does this happen? It doesn't start by us changing what we say. It doesn't start by changing what we do. No, it starts by changing what we fill ourselves with. Luke 6 verse 45 says this, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So, here's my question. What do you fill your life with? Because that is what, honest, that's what will naturally come out of you. What do you fill your life with? If you fill your life with stocks, every time what you think about, what you do, what you talk about, of course, it will just come up. All that will come out is money. Money, 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 money. How to push forward, expand your investment portfolio. If all you, if all that fills you is, I don't know, um, your work or your studies, right? That's what would naturally come out of you because you can only manufacture or what would naturally come out, what will overflow from our mouths and from our hands and from our minds is an overflow of what is going on in our hearts. So how do we fill our lives with God. So, I don't want to be prescriptive here because we all have different approaches to God. But maybe I can offer some level of guidance. All I think what we need to do is we need to find ways to keep God and His Word ever before us throughout our day. 
So for example, some of us, we spend time with God, reading the Bible, praying to Him um, in the beginning of our day, which is fantastic. Now, can I maybe go a step further and go, well, can you take what you have meditated on at the beginning of the day and start bringing it throughout your day? Carry what you have learned at the beginning of the day in your devotions and carry it with you throughout the day. For example, you can either take notes of what God is, um, what you've received from the Lord and meditate on that throughout the day. Or you can memorize a, one of the verses, key verses in that time and just meditate on that verse. Think about that verse throughout the day. Now, I'm not saying that in, in a, when you're in a meeting or you're, you're talking to your friends, all you're thinking about is, oh, I'm just thinking about God. You know, I'm just thinking, you're not even paying attention to them. Right? I'm not saying that at all. I mean, don't be ridiculous. Right? Of course, you need to be present with your kids. You need to be present at your work and with your studies. I get it. But what the, the principle is, we need to find a way that God doesn't just fill one part of our day. He fills everything that we do. Maybe what we need to do is before we do something, maybe you, you're doing an activity with your kids or whatever it is, you're going to work, you are dedicating that time to the Lord. You spend that time in prayer to Him, going, lifting that up to Him. You bring God into your work. You bring God into your hobbies. There's many ways around. You could, instead of listening, just listening to secular music, you could listen to Christian music, worship music. You could listen to Christian podcasts or whatever it is. The idea and the goal is still somehow to fill our lives with the Lord. So if you're just doing, say for example, you are only listening to worship music and that's it. You don't ever touch the Bible, for example. You just listen to worship music, that's how you connect with God. Great. Can I challenge you to take it a step further and to maybe add on to that the Word of God. Spend some time just reading and soaking in the Word of God, and bring that with you throughout the day. Some of us, we just need to memorize some memory verses and then bring that throughout the day so that we can just soak in God throughout the day. And I know some of us, when I emphasize the Word of God, some of you are going, hang on, Pastor, what about the Spirit of God? I mean the same thing. <laughs> some people... You, you think that, oh, you're deifying the Word of God. I'm not. <laughs> how can you possibly have a revelation of God without the Holy Spirit? And how on earth can you, can the Holy Spirit bring to, to life the Word, to bring to life who God is unless without the Word of God? You need both. It was always both. Come on. Israel, what were they commanded to do? Meditate on the Word of God day and night. What were the kings commanded to do? Take the Word of God out and study it back to front, time after time. It was the Word of God activated by the Holy Spirit, brought to life in your life. So when I say the Word of God, I mean the Spirit. When I say the Spirit, I mean the Word of God. They are connected and one and the same thing. So do you need to have a more awareness of the presence of God in every part of your life? Absolutely. How? The Word of God. Do you need the Word of God as part of your life, every part of your life, meditating on Him, even at key parts of your day? Um, the Word of God coming to life and springtime and going, alerting you to, oh, this is how God wants me to act in this situation. How is that going to happen? Through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. Bringing to life, bringing to mind 
that key verse that's relevant for this, for this situation. We need both. We need both. And I mean both. But the key is, is your life being filled with Him, with His Spirit, with His Word? Or is it more being filled with what you want to do, what you care about? That is a reflection of your love. That is a reflection of the condition of our hearts. And I'm not standing up here condemning you and going, look at you peasants. You should get on board, right? No, I'm with you. I'm totally with you. That's why I said at the beginning, I'm wrestling with this because when I look at love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your will, all of who you are, all your being and your strength, I am challenged. But I know the key, the secret source to this is the Word of God being activated by the Spirit of God and filling my life with the love of God so that I am overflowing with praise and affection to Him and He is inclining my heart to Him day after day. He's teaching me, revealing His ways to me. What about you? What about you? For sure, I know that if you are paying attention to what God is saying to you, and I've said a lot of things, but what God, through the Holy Spirit, is saying to you, I know that there is at least one thing, one thing that He's alerting to you, into your mind, into your heart, going, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to respond to this. This is how I want you to love me in this situation, in this stage of your life. Whatever that one thing is, the challenge today is to go and do it. Go and do it. Amen? Okay, awesome. Let's stand. Let's stand. So what I want us to do is as we respond with this song, and this song is a response, it's part of our response, I want us, as we're singing, to respond in our hearts to the Lord. As you're singing, lift up a prayer to God and go, God, I know that you're talking to me and you're leading me in this way. I know you're putting your finger on this part of my life. I will do it. I will step out in obedience because this is my act of love for you. I'm going to pray for us. Oh Lord, whatever it is that you've been laying on our hearts today, oh Lord, Holy Spirit, convict us. Convict us. Oh Lord, may we go and do it. As we go home, as we go live our lives, let us Love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our being, and with all our strength. That whatever we say, whatever we do, whatever we think about, our houses and our groups and our fellowship will be marked, will be filled, brimming, overflowing with you, with your love, with your truth. And so God, send us out now. Oh Lord, in your power and your grace. May we go now in the love of the Father, the peace of His Son, Lord Jesus, and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you, church.
See you next week.